You're listening to Let's Talk Creation with Todd Wood and Paul Garner, the creation show where we learn, grow, and worship. Well, it's great to be back for another episode of Let's Talk Creation with Todd Wood and Paul Garner. I am Paul Garner. And I'm Todd Wood. Uh, as always, make sure that you um, subscribe to the podcast, hit the notification bell, um, share the episodes with your friends, tell your friends about us. Um, all of that good stuff helps us to continue growing our audience. That's all very helpful. And uh, do also check out our social media, check out our website, uh, letstalkcreation.org. You'll find all of our past episodes and show notes there. Uh, and of course, if you're on YouTube, you can uh, you, you can leave comments. And at some point, I think we're going to come back and do a kind of Q&A episode again. So yeah. uh, we are reading your comments and, and we'll, we'll it's come coming. back to those. <laughs> yeah, it's coming. It's coming. Well, uh, today, Todd, we have uh, a really interesting subject, the one that goes right to the heart of our understanding of what it means to be human beings, and that is the question of what is the image of God? Uh, now, when we come to the first chapter of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1, uh, we read there, of course, that God created the plants and the animals after their kind or according to their kind. And that expression is used 10 times in Genesis chapter 1. So there's clearly an emphasis on this concept of, of after their kind. But what's really interesting is that when we come to the creation of human beings, male and female, that phrase after their kind is not used. Uh, instead, we have this expression that we are created in the image and in the likeness of God. Uh, so instantly there, right at the beginning of the Bible, we have this stark contrast between yeah. humans and the animal creation. We're different from the, from the beginning because of the way that God has made us. Uh, and of course, that raises all kinds of interesting questions questions about what does it mean that we're made in god's image what does that phrase actually entail uh and to help us sort of navigate through all of the questions that arise as we think about this we've got a very special guest with us today uh dr daniel wilson so welcome daniel it's great to have you with us thank you so much paul good to be with you yeah it's great to have you um for our listeners' uh, benefit, um, I've got a bio here for you, Daniel. It says uh, that you're pastor of uh, Grace Baptist Church in Granite, C Granite City in Illinois and professor of Bible and church history at Brooks Bible College in St. Louis, Missouri. I hope I've got that right. Yeah, that's correct. Absolutely. Yeah. So Specialty is in the area of patristics, um, church history. Yeah, great. Right, great. Maybe we should have you back to talk about that sometime as well. Yeah, I was just <laughs> thinking a, that. That's another. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But for today, obviously, um, the subject is the image of God. And we re we're really grateful for you uh, joining us. And I know, uh, Daniel, you were one of the speakers recently at a conference that was held, I think, in St. Louis uh, with this theme of the image of God. Todd, you were also one of the speakers. And uh, and so this is a topic that I know you've you've given a great deal of thought to uh so I, as we were thinking about where to begin this uh this episode i guess we need to begin with brass tacks right we need to go back to brass tacks and and see if we can come up with some kind of 
definition, description of what we mean by the image of God. So yeah, over to you, Daniel. Is there a definition you can give us? What are the relevant sort of Bible verses or scriptures that we need to need to be considering here? Absolutely. Well, let me start by saying that uh, this is an area where we are able to discern what the image of God is from from the scripture. So we need to look at the scripture. And when we look at the scripture, we find that uh, the uh, illustration or the description of being made in the image and after the likeness of God is within the creation narrative in Genesis 1, 26 and 27. Uh, and then uh, other scriptures like Genesis chapter 2 expands on that sixth day creation. And it's important as we reflect on what it means to be made in the image and likeness of God. And then moving forward to chapter 5, in the first four verses of that genealogical um, uh, data that is communicated, you also have important information that helps us to understand some of these questions about the image and likeness. Moving even forward to Genesis chapter 9 with the Noahic covenant, you have another allusion to the understanding that man was made in the image that does have implications. But outside that, we also see quite a bit uh, that helps bring things to light regarding what the image and likeness is in the Pauline epistles, especially uh, Colossians and 2 Corinthians. Uh, so it's important when we think about what exactly is the image to look at it from what we would call a biblical theological perspective. That is, we look at the whole of uh, the, the canon to try to understand what, what it means that we are made in the image and after the likeness of God. Yeah. So we've, we've, we've got quite a lot of biblical material to, to, to think about here and, and to sort of feed into this, this question. So. So how would you define what the image of God is? How would you distill what's in those biblical texts in, in a, a definition that can help our listeners? Okay. Well, I'm going to start by communicating historically how the church has understood the image. That's always important because this is an elusive topic. It is, it's, 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 as you said, complex. And so there are three main ways that theologians throughout the history of the church have approach the uh, issue of what it means to be made in the image of God. Uh, the first is structural. That is, it relates to some aspect of who we are, uh, whether that relates to the body, the mind, just an aspect of individually, you know, our, our being. Uh, secondly, others have stated it relates primarily to functional aspects, such as rule, worship, things of that nature. And then others have focused on the relational aspects, like uh, uh, John Salehammer in his uh, commentary on Genesis uh, focuses on the relationship aspect of humanity, male and female, but also how that is reflective of our relationship with God. Also, using the poems of Genesis 127, as well as I believe it's Genesis 2:24, talking about how they're bookends, but both describing relationship to help us understand being made in the image in that regard. My personal opinion is that it's best to understand the image structurally and allow the function as well as the relation aspect of the image to flow from the structure of the, the fact that we, who we are as uh, the image of God, the being of who we are, uh, does relate to function and structure. Those two flow from it. 
So if I were to give you a formal definition, I'm going to use a lot of the terms that's found in a book by a fellow named John Kilner. And it's a, a great book. It's a, it's a long read. It's about 350 pages. Uh, but he kind of boils some ideas down uh, to help us uh, understand things in maybe a little, bit, a little bit simpler language. So I would define it as uh, the description of humanity given in the creation narrative that defines his, that, that is humanity's disposition to God and potential. We need to focus on that idea of potential and potential for rule, reason, relationship, and righteousness. It also encompasses both dignity and destiny. So that would be, if I could boil it down to a definition of what I would communicate. Yeah, great. And we'll put links to that book in the show notes so our, our listeners can, can look that book up. One of the things that sort of strikes me as, as I look at Genesis 126 in particular is um, you have this expression that we're, we're made in the image of God, in the likeness of God. Um, is there a distinction, do you think, between image and likeness, or are they really just different ways of referring to the same thing? Yeah, that's also a good question. Let me approach that also historically in saying that uh, in the past, uh, some theologians like Irenaeus uh, of Lyons, who was a bishop in the second century, um, separated image and likeness. He associated image with the reason of man and likeness with more of the moral capacity. And he claimed that in the fall, man lost the likeness. However, I think personally looking at a, an explanation of Scripture as a whole and then looking at different texts, it is best to understand image and likeness more as kind of the same idea. Now, there are distinctions in the term. For instance, the idea of image takes on more of the connotation of form, replica, or representation. We often, as preachers and theologians, like to point back to the fact that in ancient history, this idea of image salem uh, had the connotation of a king who may be far away from his land, and he would put an image of himself in that faraway land so that people would remember who is sovereign over that particular area. So those who would have read Genesis 1, 26 and 27 would have had that picture within their mind. And uh, the idea of, uh, of, of lightness or demuth uh, really bears a connotation more of form or pattern uh, as well. So there are some distinctions but interestingly enough, I believe the concept is meant to be one. Uh, sometimes, of course, authors like Moses would, would do this emphatically uh, to, just to emphasize the fact that man was made in the image. And one of the reasons I, as well as other scholars, believe that what you see here is really the same idea uh, can help be explained if we go to uh, Genesis chapter 5 and we look at that genealogical data where. Um, uh, we see in parallel fashion, this is the book of generations of Adam. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Their likeness as a summary of what was stated in Genesis 1, 26 and 27 is, uh, is, is that summary of, of both image and likeness. And if we read further all the way down to verse 4, what we're going to see is Seth, who creates or who, who is, is created also in the image, Seth takes on that which his father gives him, 
The days of Adam after he fathered Seth were 800 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Prior to that, pardon me, verse 3, when Adam lived 130 years, he fathered his son in his own likeness and after his image. What's important here is you see the concepts of image and likeness reversed. Also, you see similarities in the uh, conjunctions that are, or, or pardon me, in the uh, prepositions that are used. Genesis 1, uh, 27, 26, it's in the image after the likeness. And here in verse 3, it is in the likeness and after the image. So that tells us that we shouldn't hold hard and fast either the differences in the prepositions, nor should we make too many distinctions between these two concepts. Okay, that's very helpful. And you, you alluded there to the fact that some people have um, suggested in, in the past that perhaps God's, God's likeness was lost at the time of the fall. Is, was that right? Did I hear that right? Yeah, that was Irenaeus' position. In oh, fact, there have been yeah, different, different positions on whether we've retained the image or lost it. Uh, Martin Luther yeah. uh, communicated that we lost the image. Others believe that it's just been marred. Others believe that we still have uh, the image, but what has been affected is our potential to reflect the glory of God in the image. So, yeah, there are, there's a wide variety of positions relating to how sin affects the image. Yeah. And what's your view on that? How, how, how would you sort of say that sin has affected the image and likeness of God in man? Well, my personal opinion probably lies somewhere between uh, the, the positions of we do still retain the image. I, I think that's pretty clear looking at passages like uh, James 3, 9, which communicates that whenever we curse a man, we do so as someone who is made after the likeness of God. Or Genesis, for that matter, um, chapter um, uh, chapter nine, where it communicates that when a man sheds another man's blood, his blood will be shed because we're made in the image of God. So that seems to communicate we still have the image. So I'll start there in saying that we do still have the image, and uh, and but it has been affected by affected by sin. Uh, so so is it marred? Um, is it distorted in some way? I like to keep with the language of image and say that, say that in some way that image was distorted because I think that flows well with the illustration of, of image. Um, and so it has been affected by sin. But I do like Kilner's understanding of how um, it affects our potential to reflect uh, the glory of God, because that does play a, a large role into the understanding of the image and why we were created as representatives in, in some way mediators, uh, as Adam was a mediator uh, placed in the garden. And, and, and in doing so, that affected our potential to carry out the, the function that was born within the image. Yeah. I think... I'd, Coming you know, back then... I'd like to... Um, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Oh, go, go, go ahead, Todd, <laughs> jump in. I want to jump in here, because... You said something there that I think is really remarkable and um, I think maybe surprising to some listeners who don't really follow all this. But you mentioned Salem. The, the, the Hebrew term for image there is an image that would be used in other contexts for carved statuary. Um, in the ancient Near East. So when when Moses writes that word down, 
he's not, you know, picking a random word. He's picking a word that's sort of loaded with meaning for the ancient Near East. And a, two things come to mind. One thing that comes to mind is it sort of it sort of gives me a new appreciation, a new understanding of um, the prohibition against carved images in the Ten Commandments. Um, we're not to carve uh, images and representations of God, and there's sort of the implication there because we are the image and representation of God. You can't you can't make you know, a piece of wood or a piece of rock into God's image because there already is an image on earth. And the other thing that I think about that I think is really kind of exciting and interesting is this notion that, like you said, the king in the, in the far land, who he's, he's, he's reigning over a vast empire, and he sets up statues of himself uh, to show who's in charge and remind people who's in charge. Okay. So if we're we're fulfilling a function like that in creation, who are we telling that to? And I'm asking that as a question. <laughs> That's not rhetorical because I've often wondered this, right? If if we're the image of God and we're God's representatives on the earth, and who's watching us and seeing what God is like? Is it the animal creation? Is it the angels? I know there are other passages where where the Bible talks about angels watching and seeing what God is doing with, with human beings, is that part of is that part of who we're imaging too? What do you do you, do you have any thoughts on that? I'm I know I'm going off script a little bit here, but I'm really curious about this. <laughs> do you think it's both creation and angelic creation, like animal creation and angelic creation? I don't know. What do you, any thoughts? Yeah, that's that's a good question. There have been uh, some who have asked the questions, what about the angels? Do they bear the image? But the scripture seems very clear in that they do not. Um, but when we, yeah, definitely when we think about, so what does this mean if we are to be this uh, representative that we are to mediate? I like to use that word because when Adam was placed in the garden, a lot of language of mediation was used, so it had a priestly hue, cultivate, keep, or otherwise translated worship, obey, that was used of the priesthood later on. And because Eden was a, um, a reflection of what we see in the tabernacle, then the temple later on, you do see these very clear overtones of mediation that I think play into the understanding of the image and how also we are to, to represent God before the creation. Uh, so then, so then, yeah. When we think of the creation, I think we, especially within the within the context of Genesis one, in those uh, six days where at the pinnacle of creation, the man was made, that that he is that representative over all of that. We're using that particular context of Genesis one, that um, that that we represent God toward, and then thinking about in relation to angels. Interestingly enough, uh, you know, of course, this is. I don't have uh, any, anything definitive there, but it does say in 1 Corinthians 6, as the apostle communicates, that we will judge angels. So that's just an interesting thought whenever we um, reflect on these concepts and our relation with the angels. And as you said, how the angels watch us in worship, as we read in uh, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 11, and then as Peter communicates today, they just are absolutely curious about the mercy and the compassion that we have received. 
from God as, as, as they watch us and what God is doing in and through us in redemptive history. That's, I think that's utterly fascinating. I think it's utterly, I think it's just full of so many important implications there. I mean, the, the, it, it kind of suggests to me, there's a couple of thoughts that come to mind again. Um, the, the idea there, and I've often wondered this, Genesis 2 is, is frequently portrayed as being in contradiction with Genesis 1, as if somehow it were a completely separate story that got tacked together with Genesis 1. I always thought that was odd because they're right after one another in the text, and I thought, you know, if you're going to be an, if you're just stitching together myth, mythology into a full story, I figured you'd smooth it over a little better so that people wouldn't notice. But anyway, my, my, my take on, to, on two has always been that it's, it's kind of a reflection on what it is to be the image um, that, that you have. And you're basically telling me the same kind of thing, that, that Eden and Adam's functionality in Eden and Adam's activities there in Eden are, are in a sense, um, expanding on what it has to be in the image and have dominion over creation. You are a steward. You are put in the garden to protect it and to keep it and to take care of it. You are, as you say, there, there's a lot of temple imagery in, in, the Eden, in Eden as well. And so you get this idea that, that um, we're kind of the high priests, you know, that the image entails priesthood as well. Um, going, as you say, as a mediator between God and, and his creation and his world. And then, of course, <laughs> I have to think it's got to have, like, ethical considerations as well. It's not just that we are responsible for the gifts that God has given us in creation, but creation is looking to us to see what God is like. Do we reflect God well in our dealings with, um, dealings with creation? The more you unpack this, the more fascinating it gets. I think. <laughs> I think about this. It's just it's just big. It's just really important. Okay, yeah. I'm done. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, that was yeah. Okay, so we've gone off script a bit, but that that yeah. was great, and um, and, and I think that's that's very. It, it's so intriguing. I mean, there are so many different directions you could kind of go in, go with this. Um. Coming back to, to one of the things that you said earlier, Daniel, you, you were talking about the, these different aspects of, of image, uh, the structural, and then I think you said sort of flowing from that, you have the functional and the relational. Uh -huh. I, I wonder if we can just start to sort of unpack that a bit more um, and sort of dig into these different aspects of image uh, and what image means. Um, and I've got a whole load of questions here um you know concerning how our behavior you know what what we do reflects image uh are there aspects physical aspects of what we are that reflect image um how we relate to the as todd has alluded to how we relate to the creation even to the angelic creation, but certainly to the to the the physical crea creation and to other humans and to God, all of these are different aspects of image. I wonder if we can just start to sort of pick apart some of those and talk about them. So, 
maybe we could just begin with behavior. In what ways does our behavior reflect the image of God? Okay. Uh, so in ways that, to... say, the animals don't. You know, the animals are not made in God's image. So how does our behavior compared to that of the animals reflect God's image? All right. Thank, yeah, absolutely. So if I were to go to Kilner's outline where he likes to communicate the, the four R's, reason, rule, righteousness, relationship, all those are really good ways to describe how we are separated and apart from, as you say, the animals in relation to behavioral aspects of the image. So we start with rule. We know that in uh, 26, 27, God gave dominion uh, to humanity, uh, rule to rule over um, that which he created. We see that reflected also in Psalm 8. You know, I didn't mention that before, but Psalm 8 is, is a wonderful reflection as David himself is pondering what it means uh, to be made uh, in the image, though that word isn't used. He, he looks at God and sees God's handiwork and says, you know, what is man that you are mindful of him? And uh, using the concepts you've bestowed on him, glory and honor. So we, we see there the, the idea of, of rule, uh, dominion within the garden, for, for one thing. So man is set apart for, with, with, with that dominion. And as Todd had pointed out, we can even see a difference when we look at the language of the scripture and how man's created directly. It's a longer um, uh, aspect of uh, creation that's found in Genesis 1, 26 and 27. Uh, but then we, we continue on with the idea of, of from dominion to, let's say, um, uh, uh, righteousness, okay, that man was placed in the garden, but he was given a moral directive. You may eat from any tree in the garden except for one, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. On the day you eat of it, you will die. Uh, we can look at that aspect, and uh, we can also parallel the moral prerogative of man with what we see relating to the image the Apostle Paul states in uh, Colossians 3.10, where he says, you know, put on Christ um, in the kind of renewing of the, of, the, of, the, of the image, but it's based on being renewed after the, after the knowledge. So there's an, there's an aspect of intelligence, but when we, when we think about the, the image itself um, and being restored, being renewed within the image, you see the concept of sanctification also played out in the Pauline epistles as we are transformed into the image of Christ from one degree of glory to another. So that aspect of righteousness or the moral prerogative also plays a part in how we are set apart from the animals. So we've got rule, uh, righteousness, relationship. Um, using the language also of, of uh, Genesis 1, uh, as you communicated, God made them after their kind, or we also see um, uh, let the land or let the sea. And then when God made man, you ought not only have this creation in mass, but you have a creation, male and female, where, where there's this, this picture of relationship. In fact, as is often been stated, there's kind of a threefold picture relationship, not only what we read in Genesis 1, 26, 27, and then also down into 24 but a relationship between man and God and man with the creation. There is those relational overtones as Selhammer likes to focus with the idea of humanity. So that, so, and, and the maleness and the femaleness also has a really strong connotation of the sexuality of the male and the sexuality of the female. So that's real important. When we think about humanity as 
um, being one, but at the same time being distinct, kind of a reflection of God himself. And then finally, you also have the idea of um, of a reason. Sometimes people have looked past the, the concept of reason, but I go back to when we think about the expansion, and I like what Dr. Wood said, it really is an expansion when we look at um, the uh, what we call chapter two, remembering that the chapters aren't inspired, that they were placed uh, there, you know, like in the 11th century. So understanding that that when Moses wrote uh, the creation narrative, one flowed right into two without our statements of this is one, this is two. And as Selhammer states, it's best to look at it that way, perceiving the poetry like bookends between the narrative itself. Understanding understanding it that way, then we think about God telling humanity to cultivate and keep the garden. Uh, God telling humanity to have dominion. There seems to be some importance of uh, intelligence and the ability to reason in that. Not to mention, he had to name the animals and he also talked with God. There was communication. We also see within the Pauline corpus of Scripture the idea that, going back to Colossians 3.10, that we are renewed in the knowledge. And I know that idea of knowledge has kind of more of a personal overtone, but still it kind of bears the connotation of intelligence. So these are ways in which I think we can point to Scriptures and how they describe the image that reflects how we are set apart in our behavior from the animal kingdom. Yeah. And this kind of raises a very interesting question i know it's one that todd uh, you've thought a great deal about <laughs> yeah. um which is is it possible that we could recognize the image of god in some way in say the fossil record because you know we've got, we've got all of these um hominin fossils and you know one of our tasks as creationists is to try and sort of work through those and say well you know wh- which belong to the to the human family and which are, you know, which are, which are non-human animals. And we need to develop uh, criteria, some kind of methodology for sort of working through those questions. And obviously the, the crucial question for us as creationists is you know, who are descendants of Adam and Eve, who are in the likeness and image of God. And so how are there ways that we can <laughs> see the image of God in some way in the fossil or the archaeological record. Right. Yeah. And I would say, I would go a little farther beyond what you described there. It's not just the task of creationists. I think it's a task of humanity, right? You go right back to the Garden of Eden. What's the first specific job that God gives Adam? Well, he brings all the animals to him to see what he would call them. And then Adam says, there's nobody here that's comparable to me. There's no suitable companion and so you have right there adam is sort of sorting through these creatures that god has made and sort of sorting them out and giving them names and then and then realizing no there's no image of god here there's nobody like me so this is this is sort of a fundamental human thing that we that we can do here is looking at these these creatures and the and the disadvantage of course is that you can't see what they're like when they're alive, right? <laughs> I go to the yeah. I go to the zoo here in Chattanooga. I can see the chimpanzees, and I can see what they're doing, <laughs> and I can see very easily. Oh, that's that is definitely not the image of God. Um, <laughs> and I feel like if we could do that, 
with some of these creatures, we'd know right away, right? We could we could tell, oh yeah, that's definitely human. That's definitely not. So I feel like, you know, we've got that problem. And of course, then we've got the problem of skeletons aren't complete. So we have fragments and pieces and and you've got a lot of you know, a lot of anthropologists who want to make their discovery seem like the most important thing ever. And I get it. I want people to think that I'm really important too. So, you know, uh, there's that tendency. So you have a lot being made of not very much sometimes. And yeah, so what, what do you do then? And, and I got to say, for the longest time, I've sort of considered this question in, in the sense of sort of the intangible qualities of the image, the reason part that, that Daniel was just describing there, the idea of, of humanity's um, intellectual capacity above that of the animals, right? Where you might have uh, certain forms of stone tools, for example, where you have the, the tool is being shaped on both sides, uh, basically four different ways this way and that way on the top, and this way and that way on the bottom, and so you get this teardrop-shaped hand axe when they're done. That, to me, seems like some pretty sophisticated planning and execution, and I say that's pretty obviously something I would relate to the image of God. The, the ability to control fire and use it for light, heat, and um, cooking, uh, that would be something I would associate with the image of God. So there are these things that are sort of intangible. And now I've been challenged, right? <laughs> Just listening to 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 Daniel and his in his lecture at the at the conference I was at and and thinking about this more deeply. Part of the Salem, part of the image, right, is that it's a physical representation. Um <laughs> so it seems to me there's probably something physical about the image as well. And I I don't know what to say about that. I mean, is that am I right on the right track there, Daniel? Am I am I with the with the physical part? You you mentioned it, I know, specifically in your talk there. I, absolutely. Uh, once again, this is something that in the uh, history of discussion about the image has been debated. But my personal opinion is that the scriptures uh, very strongly argue in favor of uh, the, the body, the physicality of humanity being part of the image. And some of the arguments that I would allude to would be well, Genesis 9, once again, when Man's blood is shed, his blood will be shed because he's made in the image. So that's pretty strong and infers the image uh, relates to the body. When we think, for instance, also about uh, the uh, genealogy, uh, whatever God received or Adam received from God in being made after the likeness, to use the wording in uh, verse one of chapter five, uh, parallel to in the image and after the likeness, Adam gave to Seth. And so that also seems to strongly infer the uh, body as part of the image. But the strongest argument is the incarnation, the fact that Jesus is the very image of God. And when we think about his identity and how the Bible stresses his identity with 
the redemption that is found within Jesus Christ, though the argument wasn't around the image. I will I'll quote a patristic uh, church father for you, Gregory of Nazianzus, that which has not been assumed cannot be healed. So all of what Jesus was is the, in, in the incarnation identified with us, and in his divinity, he was able to pay the penalty of our sin, a, a penalty we could not pay. But also in his humanity, because he could identify with right. us. So, so we, we're not saying here, and I think this is maybe something we need to clarify, hopefully. There are those sort of, let's call them critical scholars, who would argue that the image of God means that the ancients had a, had a picture of God as being like us, right? That he looks like us, that he has a body like us. Like the, the medieval paintings where you have, you know, naked Adam lying on the ground, and there's this old man in a white robe pulling him up out of the ground. Is that really, is that what we're saying the image is physical? Is that really what we're trying to get at? I, I, I never understood it that way. Right. I, I appreciate you pointing that out because the scriptures are very clear that God is spirit. Yeah. Right. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth, as Jesus told uh, the woman at the well in John chapter four. Uh, and so that's that's part of the mystery in that. Uh, God, who is separate from creation, transcendent, to use a word, and is spirit. At the same time, that's where part of the marvel of the incarnation comes in. He took on flesh and dwelt among us. The creator became, as Athanasius would say, the creation, um, but that for our redemption. And so it's, it's a phenomenal thought. But as you say, it's important to clarify when we think about the doctrine of God or theology proper, that God is spirit, and that's important to emphasize in this discussion. Yeah. When we were thinking about this episode um, and this concept of, you know, Jesus as the perfect image of God, um, we, we really wanted to talk about this because it is so important. Um, but we were struggling how to articulate this <laughs> in terms of a question. Um, but I was sort of struck by something that you said in your talk, Daniel, and I, I think you used it as kind of a heading and then sort of unpacked it. Uh, it was, you described Jesus as the standard and the enabler of God's image. So what did you mean by that? Could, could you sort of unpack that a bit for us? Absolutely. So when I, when I use the words or the, concept standard and enabler admittedly i'm stealing that from john kilner once again uh, but it's it's that's what i talk about he's he's done a real good job of boiling down some of these concepts and it's a, it's a biblical concept so i can point to you point you to the passages where jesus is described as the image for instance in colossians 1 15 and 17 one of the four major christological passages it describes jesus as the very image of god uh, we read within that particular passage, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. And going back to the fact that he's creator, by him all things were created, heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones, dominions, rulers, or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. A couple of things I would want to point out. Number one is that um, in the creation narrative, we were made in the image and after the likeness. And here, Paul, I, I don't think it's just a coincidence, he does not use a preposition to set Jesus apart from 
uh, ju just the creation narrative. Jesus, in this regard, is the penultimate human. You might say he is all he 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 is all that humanity was was meant to be uh, in, in in that regard. So Jesus is the very the very image of God. So in that regard, he is the standard. If we use the concepts of glory that often are related to the idea of image, like what we see in Second uh, uh, Corinthians three eighteen, where we in sanctification, in growing in righteousness, in growing in being conformed to the image of Jesus, as he is once again the, stand, the, the standard, that, that idea of image, let me communicate this, is something that seems to be static. In other words, uh, some people have questioned whether individuals, some individuals have more of the image or some have less, but the Bible seems to, the Bible communicates humanity is made in the image, not more or less. But what is, what does fluctuate is the idea of glory. So for instance, um, Jesus is the very image of God. And as we understand the concept of glory, we might say that is one of the perfections of God. He is glory. And so when we think about the glory of Jesus, that's the glory of God. And we think, for instance, also about the prologue of John, um, it, the word became flesh and we beheld his glory. Glory is the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth, the very definition of glory. If we as image bearers being made in the image of God, the potential is that we are to represent God for, before creation and we are to display his glory using the concepts of glory like we would, communicable attributes of God, display his goodness, his patience, his mercy, his kindness, things like that. Then when we go to uh, 2 Corinthians 3.18, and we see that the process of sanctification, where we are growing in, in that, is that we are being conformed to the image from one degree of glory to another. It's a beautiful picture. And then you jump forward to uh, chapter 4, verse 6, where, um, uh, where, where we, we, it gives this picture of us beholding the glory of Jesus, and then as we behold the glory of Jesus, we are at the same time being conformed and, uh, and, and, and growing ourselves. Let me unpack this as I say. So Jesus is the standard in that he is the very image of God, and he's the very definition of the glory of God. Uh, that's the standard. He died on a cross for our sin, paid the penalty, as we felt fell short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23, using that same imagery he um, appeased the wrath of God as a propitiation. He was the redeemer, using once again the same concept in 3, 23 through 28. He is he's the one who brought redemption of our sin. Um, yet at the same time, in him being the standard, the one who was the substitute to die on the cross, he is the enabler, using that concept that we see in 2 Corinthians 3.18, where uh, as we behold his glory, the idea there, or as we are being conformed to the, his image, we are growing in one degree of glory uh, to, a, to another. So that um, is that picture of the enabler. And it, it also would take us back to the understanding of the spirit and how the spirit is involved. Of course, um, the Holy Spirit often at times is also described as the spirit of Christ. It's the spirit who indwells us. It's the spirit who um, in, in, empowers us to grow in sanctification. And of course, um, understanding these concepts within the Apostle Paul and what we read, for instance, in 2 Corinthians 3, 4, and then 5, 
where we're described as new creatures in Christ. Uh, so I, I hope that I've kind of unpacked that where you can kind of see the picture of Jesus as the standard, the image, but also the enabler as we are growing um, in him from one degree of glory to another. That's, I think There's that's... so much there. I, can, I, can I cut <laughs> in again? I think, yeah, of course. Yeah. I think that's so helpful to me. I've often talked about the image as uh, um, having a quality to it that 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 like the office of president, you can have a good president or prime minister, or you can have a lousy president or prime minister, right? You can have a prime minister that's in and out in a month, um, <laughs> as we've seen recently, um, and. And I think the idea of glory, that this this notion that we're moving from glory to glory, I think that's really helpful because that's a lot better than just saying, you know, you could be a good image of God or a bad image of God. Although I think people understand that, grasp that pretty well. But it's more biblical to say glory to glory. <laughs> so thank yeah. you for that. That's good. Yeah. Yeah, that, that, that was great. I, it raises so many thoughts in my mind you know the, the fact that we are made in god's image but jesus is the image of god uh in in some way are we even physically patterned on jesus himself i you know i i don't even know what i'm articulating here really but uh it just raises so many kind of mind-boggling thoughts you know as as we think about this that we are we are being conformed to his image you know, we think of the incarnation as Jesus taking on our image. You know, he becomes human flesh. But actually, in redemption, we're becoming more and more his image. Uh, I, I, I don't know what I'm even trying to articulate. But does any of that make sense? I think you're getting at some of the irony here. I think there's a, there's a right. paradox, right? Jesus takes on human flesh, but in doing so, he becomes his own image. Because it was his image, the, the image of yeah. God that he's taking on, which he, he already was. So there's, yeah. I never even thought of that. That's just fascinating. Anyway, I'm excited. <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, well, Todd, have you got any other questions? Because, yeah. Well, we could go on and on about this for hours, but we, we should probably we, not. We could. <laughs> Because <laughs> there was there was one yeah. other question I had. Now that we have a patristic expert here, I've often heard that the yeah, patristics are are and and for those viewers who don't know, the patristics are the early church fathers. These would be prominent individuals who wrote lots of works on Christianity very early in the church. Um, and these individuals, I understand, had a very very strong view of the image of God as it pertains to Jesus. Is that right? Is the, is, would they be, I don't know that obsessed is the right word, but they, they, it comes up a lot in their writings, the image of God? Uh, yes, if I, if I could give you a couple of allusions. Definitely, you see uh, these concepts in both uh, the patristic church father Athanasius of Alexandria, mm -hmm. as well as, uh, I alluded to him earlier, Irenaeus of Lyons. And what is interesting is uh, in both of their writings, Irenaeus, if you want to go and read for yourself, you can in his Against Heresies, uh, the fifth book, 
and for Irenaeus, you can see it in his all throughout his against uh, the Arians, but also in his on the incarnation. They seem to have a picture of the coherence of salvation, what we would call creation, fall, redemption, consummation. And in that, Jesus being made in the image, uh, coming to recreate what was lost in the fall, relating to how it affected our image, is a central theme in, in their works. And so, yeah, so you, you do see that. And, and in our Western concept, you may not see it as much, but um, you do see some of that in, for instance, Eastern Orthodoxy yeah. as, as well. It still retains some of those patristic concepts. Okay, great. Thank you. That, it's, it seems to be a very a remarkably important thing to keep in mind that, as you said, we're not simply... We're not simply the image of God, and that's it. Or we're not simply the image of God, and that makes us valuable. We're being conformed to the to the ultimate perfect standard of the image of God uh, through our sanctification in Christ. And I think that's just remarkable. Yeah. And I think that should be a more central part of our theology, especially as creationists. Um, yeah. It just strikes me as a really important ingredient into who we are as creationists. Yeah, Daniel, that's been great. Uh, it's been a fascinating discussion and, you know, really thought provoking. And I want to encourage all of our listeners to go and check out your talks at the Gateway Creation Conference, because I think you can still sign up and, and you know, they were recorded. So I think you can sign up and you can get access to those. So do check out the Gateway Creation Conference. We'll put a link in the um, show notes so that people can go there and find those. And as well as Daniel's talks, there are also Todd's talks and some other talks by other speakers as well. Uh, so it's definitely well worth signing up to, get, to go and check that conference out. Uh, thank you very much for being with us, uh, Daniel. That, that was absolutely great. Um, we're going to sign off, and I, I guess we'll, we'll see people in another two weeks' time. Thank Thanks you for watching, Paul. Thanks. Thanks, Daniel. Yeah, bye, everybody. Thanks for listening to this episode of Let's Talk Creation. For more information, visit us at letstalkcreation.org, where you'll find an archive of past episodes and all our show notes. If you'd like to leave a comment or make a suggestion, you can find us on all the major social media platforms. Let's Talk Creation is brought to you in the U.S. by Core Academy of Science and in the U.K. by Biblical Creation Trust. As a listener-supported ministry, we are grateful for all of your financial support. Find out how you can make a contribution at our website, letstalkcreation.org. Also remember to like, subscribe, and share this episode with your friends. Thanks, and see you next time.